question we're all asking. Why hasn't Russia launched a major cyber attack on Ukraine? And defense strategy essentials in times of crisis. These stories and more on this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. Why hasn't Russia unleashed major cyber attacks against either Ukraine or the West? That's a question being asked by cybersecurity experts on the heels of last week's Russian invasion. Joining me to discuss is Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor of Data Breach Today and Europe. Matt, so have experts gotten the cybersecurity picture over Ukraine wrong? Well, Anna, the risk posed on a national security level remains. There could be serious escalation by Russia if and when the West gets more involved in the defense or support of Ukraine. So you've got that national security challenge on the one hand. But a lot of people are surprised that there's not been a greater tempo of cyber attacks being launched against Ukrainian infrastructure. A lot of experts were predicting this would happen before Russian troops invaded the country in order to make it easier for their invasion to potentially succeed. And a lot of experts also predicted that after troops had entered the country, there'd be continuing, perhaps escalating, attacks on critical infrastructure. For example, to disrupt electricity and communications, again, to make the military occupation of Ukraine flow more smoothly. And yet, as is obvious, at least in the first week now of the invasion, none of this has come to pass. And what risk is posed by future cyber attacks against Ukraine causing collateral damage? So collateral damage continues to be one of the big concerns. And you've got the cybersecurity agencies in the US, the UK, and beyond urging businesses to get prepared. And the challenge is that we could see something like the NotPetya 2017 wiper malware attack that targeted Ukraine, but which got out of control happening again. Now, it's surprising again that these things haven't happened, but it perhaps says more about poor preparedness on the part of the Russian military for this invasion. For example, some people are suggesting that intelligence agencies inside Russia may have had very little, if any, warning that the invasion was actually going to happen. So no matter how well positioned they might have been inside critical infrastructure networks in Ukraine, it's possible they didn't have the time they've needed, at least so far, to make those sorts of attacks and disruptions happen. Again, however, this sort of thing could well be unleashed in the future. But I think there's an interesting national security discussion happening now about the actual role of cyber in conflict. And despite what people might have thought would happen, it's very clear that at least so far, President Putin has chosen to prioritize weapons of a kinetic nature. We're seeing missiles, heavy amounts of artillery, unfortunate loss of life. I mean, this is, this is a horrible invasion, of course, civilian casualties, military casualties, but none of that is being affected by cyber. So, so I think there's going to be a big rethink about the role of cyber when it comes to armed conflict when this is over. So for now, Matt, what are the main takeaways for Western governments and businesses? One thing that governments have gotten right, I think, is this focus on resiliency. As Jen Easterly, the director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency in the U.S., is calling the program, it's shields up. It's trying to get organizations to 
think ahead about the sorts of threats they might face. And fans of CISA might already know this, but the kinds of advice they've been promulgating in recent years is largely the same as what they're doing now. It's to do the basics, it's to patch, it's to make sure your operating systems are updated, it's to have a resiliency plan in place and well-practiced. Some of the other things that are really leaping out to me here though, are crisis communications. We've seen this in the past, both good and very poor examples, but a large part of what President Zelensky in Ukraine has been doing so far is excelling at crisis communications. He's been getting Ukraine's message out into the wider world. Russia is supposed to be a master of disinformation and information warfare, but it's spectacularly failed to control the information warfare space surrounding the Ukraine conflict. Zelensky's been appealing for help and for aid, and he's been receiving it, it seems, in spades from Western governments. So I think there's a lesson to be learned there for businesses. Clear communication and transparency should always be the order of the day when you face a threat or when there's an unfolding incident. Also, as I was just saying, preparation pays. And it behooves all CISOs to make sure that they're following the latest cybersecurity guidance from Western governments to better protect themselves in case Russia does escalate its cyber attacks on Ukraine and those attacks get out of control and hit the West, which is still, unfortunately, a very real possibility. Thanks, Matt. Always appreciate your invaluable advice. Thanks, Anna. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Regardless of what happens over the next few days and weeks, CSO of Cyber Reason Sam Curry says this is the ideal time to identify and mitigate the single points of failure in your organization. He spoke with our senior vice president of editorial, Tom Field, and explained how companies should approach this. I've actually called this a security investment paradox in other places. Effectively, what business tries to do is to tune a P&L. It's about making the profit as fine-tuned and as large as it can be. That means less vendors. That means getting clout for discounts, right? Money can be in two states. It can be a static asset or it can be a machine that produces more money. That's a company. And when that's the case, you tune the machine for efficiency. Unfortunately, that means you've got single bottlenecks that if they go away, so does your company. Security, to some extent, has to introduce redundancy to the machine. In other words, it's got to put costs back in it. And in peacetime, it usually strays all the way over to having these single points of failure be more common. In wartime, we put redundancy back in the machine, or at least in conflict times. So it's very important to go through and go, okay, who's the supplier without whom we stop? What's the component without which the assembly line shuts down? Identify those, come up with contingencies for when they get attacked. That means talk to the supplier, see what they're going to do. Or it might mean have another supplier on standby and test a small workload with them. If you have one cloud provider, look at two. If you have one CRM system, what's your backup? Where are your backups literally in this case? And how would you move them between vendors? Those sorts of questions are vital at times like this. It's time for some redundancy and to free up the spending a little bit. And finally, drum roll. We have a new series on our sites called Sound Off. I interview one guest. We explore one topic and deep dive into their expertise. 
One of my recent guests was Lisa Soto, partner and chair of the Global Privacy and Cybersecurity Practice at Hunt and Andrews Kurth, LLP. We took a look at ransomware defense essentials. Here she is sharing common mistakes she's seeing organizations make preparing to survive a ransomware attack. Well, often we get calls from companies who don't know the first steps. They have an incident response plan. They have an incident response team that has been convened, but they're in frantic mode and they just have no earthly idea what to do. So having a list of experts to call who do know what to do and who do this a thousand times a year is the most critical thing, I think. Most companies don't experience these events on a routine basis, but the experts do. And we know how to dive right in and know exactly where to start. And by the way, it's not only useful to have one expert for each function, have two or three, you need alternates. This is a very busy arena. It's important to have some alternates in mind as well. We've also seen companies that have had very carefully crafted incident response plans. Their teams are ready to go when needed, but the phone numbers and the incident response plan is in electronic form only, and that's been locked up through ransomware. So they can't even get to their plan and to the phone numbers. And then one other thing that I'll, I'll mention, well, a couple of other things that I'll mention is common mistakes. Very important to have an out-of-band communication channel lined up and ready to go. If you have a live attacker in your system, you certainly don't want to communicate in the traditional way. And then one other that I'll mention is that we've seen companies go out with news and information too early. Now, sometimes your hand is forced and media presses you to go out, but it doesn't mean that you have to provide much information because we really don't have that information in the early moments of a breach. So be very, very careful what you say in those early days because there's so much more to be done. And what we know on day one is often different from what we know on day 10, which is different from what we know on day 30. That's it from the ISMG Security Report. The music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time. Music